need to know right now and solve those issues so future generations don't need it. Yeah, let's be a nice person. Let's just be a nice person. <laughs> that's that's literally Ally's what it comes down to. <laughs> Hi everyone, I'm Uswa. And I'm Yasmin. Welcome to Inner Work Ally Squared's official podcast where we learn how to better practice allyship. Ally Squared's team resides and works on the unceded and unsurrendered territory of the Algonquin peoples, but our work extends all, all across Turtle Island. We give our respect to the first peoples of this land and commit to decolonizing efforts within our organization. Today, we've got a really great podcast for you folks because we're recording this live in front of a virtual audience on Instagram. Exciting. We're recording this on Ally Squared's first anniversary, and it's been an amazing experience. Usually, we plan our podcast episodes weeks in advance, and we develop research and content, just like what we were talking previously about before with our great team. And for this episode, we're doing things a little bit differently. This past week, we asked our listeners to share questions that they have about allyship that they're a little nervous to talk about. So sometimes people are scared to ask certain questions because they don't want to say the wrong thing or they don't want to appear as if they don't know what their question is. Yeah, so we're going to be answering these questions anonymously and we'll also be taking questions live from our social media so people have answers to the toughest questions about allyship. So let's dig in, Yasmin. Okay. So this is a question that's like, I think this was really good in terms of building the foundation for this discussion today. Mm -hmm. And it's, so we talk a lot about practicing allyship. You have to practice allyship for other people. You have to practice allyship for this. You have to practice allyship for yourself. But how do you know when someone needs an ally? Yeah, so I looked at this question and I had to really think about it. I think for me personally, I go by my own personal experiences and how I would feel if I were in their shoes. So when I see a situation and I'm, I just kind of think like, how would I feel if someone said that to me? Mm -hmm. Or if I, and even if I don't have those same identifying factors as that person, I still just try and think like, why why would that person say it? And how would I feel if I was on the receiving end of that? And then I kind of go based off of that. Yeah, that's a really good strategy. It's essentially empathy. And I think that's that's a really key mm -hmm. part of allyship. I think for me, everything comes down to what's the intention behind the message. And so I think really critically about, oh, like that seemed a little off to me. Maybe I have a gut feeling about it. Maybe something went off in my brain that was like, oh, that sounds weird. And so it's thinking about, okay, so that sounds a little weird. What what did that person mean? Looking at the intention, they said X thing, but what did they mean to say? Or what was the message they were trying to get across when they were saying that thing? And if the message that they're trying to get across comes from a place of prejudice or bias or discrimination or even ignorance, then maybe I know that the other person who it's been directed towards is thinking the same things. I also feel like in these situations, and this is not a, you know, this is not a general feeling. It depends on the circumstance. It depends on how much you know that person, but it's also that like that eye contact you get from them. You can tell that they're uneasy in a virtual environment. It's a lot harder, but you can still sometimes tell maybe that person suddenly become quiet. So there's things mm -hmm. that you can, you know, think when that happens. 
other times someone will just straight up say it. So they'll, they'll either back away or they'll feel like, oh my God, what did you just say? Or they'll say, hey, can you help me out here? Or can, can I get your support on this? And that's a very clear indication that someone needs you to practice allyship for them. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Sometimes you can just, the person will say, I need your help. Mm-hmm. And then you know. That you need to have. Exactly. <laughs> uh, okay, our second question is, my friends don't understand why I do social justice work as a white settler. They ask me why I do it, even though it doesn't affect my life. What should I say to them? Oh, this, this question for me is like, again, this comes in terms of social bubbles and echo chambers, which we talk a lot about on this podcast, is sometimes you're like, why could, why would someone even say that? Like, why would someone even ask that? But then I have to check myself and say, Oswa, you come from a very specific group of people around you who might be more aware. And so you need to pause, not be as condescending about it and really get to the meat of the question. Yeah. And I think especially because of what we've studied in school and the places that we've lived, we have the same type of people and the same type of friends that just all kind of naturally believe similar things that we believe. And that's not the case for everyone. So I think what's important for maybe this is something that you could explain to your friends is it doesn't only affect these other people that Mm -hmm. you're talking about. It also affects you. So the things that you learn in history class is not necessarily the actual history of Canada. Mm -hmm. Um, So I was telling Uswa earlier that yesterday at work, I had someone who I'm assuming he's in his like 40s. And he was saying that he's just learned about residential schools and had absolutely no idea what they were beforehand. And these are things that you, you know, you do want your kids to know the actual history of the country that they're living in and the land that they're on and who it belonged to before and the history of the people in your country and how we came to be here. And it does affect us because, I mean, just as a person, it's, you should want to know about the people that have been affected by us living here and the history of where we come from. Knowledge affects how we interact with people. Yeah. So it's in your best interest to have as much knowledge as you can about Again, the land you're occupying, if you're a settler, and the history of that, Mm -hmm. the present of that, um, and also the way you go through society, how informed you are when you have conversations with people. Just when someone's having a conversation with me and they know a lot about Pakistani culture, they know a lot about Islam as a religion, then I automatically want to have more of a discussion with them. So it it really just makes you you look better, too, other than the basic human rights perspective. And I also feel like saying, oh, like, I don't understand why you're, you know, you're in, you're participating in social justice movements as a white settler, like how it affects you, because you never know when these things are going to affect you and when you're going to need an ally. So you might have a partner that's racialized and you experience microaggressions with them, you know, if you're a white settler. You might have a child who has a disability that society doesn't accommodate or society isn't designed for, and you're going to have to fight um, to get that access for them. And so you never know what's going to happen in your life where you're going to need um, someone to practice allyship for you or for someone you care about. And so to say, oh, it doesn't affect me right now comes from a place of one point in your life. And so the actions that you're taking now of 
apathy, of not caring, of distancing yourself from this work might come back to bite you in the behind after, you know, at a later point in your life. And so it's important to think of yourself, not just as who you are now and what you need now, but also what you need in five years, what you need in 10 years and what you need in 15 years. Yeah. And I think that's what we talk about when we talk about intersectionality is you have different identifying factors and all of those those factors can change. Your identities can change. It's not like you don't have the same identity factors throughout your whole entire life. So when you are seeing someone that has different intersecting identities than you do, and you are not there for them as an ally because you feel like, well, I have the privilege and it doesn't affect me. Well, you don't know. It might affect you. It might affect a loved one because your identity factors do change. Exactly. And you also, like, speaking on that, you also don't know where you're going to live in the future, what kind of communities you're going to interact with. I don't think I've ever met someone who's not needed allyship in their life or not needed allyship for someone that they love. And so that comes from a place, number one, of privilege, but it also comes from a place of ignorance where you don't know what's going to happen in your life and you might want to really invest in these issues and make sure that these issues don't exist because who knows your your children your friends children the future generations will need you know will need allyship and so Mm -hmm. why don't you just participate in it right now and solve those issues so future generations don't need it yeah let's be a nice person Let's just be a nice person. That's that's literally Alice where it comes down to. <laughs> um, I think this is a question. The next question is something that a lot of people ask me, and this is why a lot of people don't practice allyship is because of this worry. And the question is, how do you show up for someone without being overbearing or going beyond what they need from you? Yeah. So I think for me, it's just asking. Like, I have a tendency to ask, like, Uswa knows. I'll literally be like, do you want a hug? (laughs) Like, if you're upset, that's what I do. I'm like, do you want a hug? Do you not want a hug? Do you need support? What can I do for you? Um, And I think that's kind of, for me, I've only ever had positive experiences with Mm -hmm. asking. Um, And typically people will say, yes, I, I want you to do this, or I just need you to listen. And then you just listen or yes, I I actually want you to, you know, help me. How can I say this and how can I, you know, um, make a difference and how can I be an ally to myself or for people around me? And I think that's just the best way to go about it without being overbearing and assuming what they need. And I really appreciate that about you. And at first, I have to admit, when you started asking me, like, what do you need from me right now? Or do you need a hug? I was so thrown in back because no one has ever asked me that. <laughs> no one has ever said like, what do you need from me right now? And I'm like, oh, wait, what? Yeah. You care and you're invested. <laughs> um, and then the other thing is when I say, no, I don't want a hug. There, there's, there's always that fear like, oh, Yasmin's going to hate me now for today. But really like, that fear's only in my head because when I tell her, like, no, I don't want to hug right now, or no, I don't want to talk about it right now, or no, I don't need your support on this right now, our friendship is so much stronger because I trust that what she is doing is in my best interest. And I trust that what she is doing is going to practice allyship for me. And sometimes practicing allyship means stepping back. Yeah. I mean, when you tell me, like, no, I don't want that right now, I'm just like, okay, want to watch a funny video? Yeah. Like, Yeah. So it's just dependent on what people need. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And then our next question, that's kind of, it's related to it, is 
What are some tips for those who usually don't know how to respond to someone who's living through a difficult time, especially someone who's sharing an experience of discrimination? And so that, especially right now with the pandemic, a lot of people, I keep saying this, I'm going to keep saying this until this pandemic is gone for at least a couple years after that. The pandemic is a collective trauma. We are all going through it. Yes, in different ways. It's affecting us differently, but we are all affected by this pandemic. And so for us to be able to think of uh, our life and our the trauma we're going through as a collective, to build that collective consciousness in a country that loves making everything about the individual, it's going to actually help us heal better. And so in that healing, the question comes up when people aren't prepared to hear certain things about people's experiences or they want to hear them but don't know how to react. Mm-hmm. What are some tips that we can share um, to make sure that the person who's sharing the trauma as well as the person who's listening feels like they're supported? So again, asking what they need. And I think one thing that you were talking about is, you know, taking note of your own emotional capacity. Because I think when you try and overextend yourself, you can, you actually sometimes are not there for the person in the way that they need it. And it's not coming from a place of, um, it's not coming from a malicious place. It's just, you've maybe overextended yourself. And we talk about compassion fatigue. Yep. And we talk about it usually in the context of the trainings we deliver and we make sure that our trainers. So a big, big priority for me is always making sure that before, during and after training, trainers feel emotionally supported by Ally Squared. By Ally Squared, I really just mean the people at Ally Squared. There's no (laughs) our own team, no like weird organizational mascot that does that. No, but making sure that we're supporting each other in a way that prevents compassion fatigue because that gets dangerous because compassion fatigue when it goes on for too long actually before I should explain what compassion compassion fatigue is when people are in a position where they're consistently listening to trauma listening to heavy things listening to very emotional things and it could be a part of their job um I work in the settlement sector and so with with a lot of newcomers and refugees and so that's a big part of the work that we do is also you know consistently hearing about the bad things that happen in these amazing communities and amazing people's lives and so compassion fatigue happens when you have to hear that for so long that you become tired and you're absorbing all that energy and it drains you emotional exhaustion and it's just another way to put it And it results in some really, really serious symptoms. So it could go down to depression or anxiety. It could lead to extreme exhaustion. It could lead to just not caring about the thing that you actually really care about. And so when we talk about compassion fatigue in relation to the question, I think it's really important for us to ask ourselves when someone's saying, hey, I want to talk to you about this thing, it's important to ask ourselves, can we show up for this person in the best way possible? Mm -hmm. Or can we not? And in that moment, I think it's okay to say, hey, I am also going through a lot right now. I love you. I want to support you. I want to be there for you. I'm going to practice allyship for you. But I can't do that effectively at this point in my life. Is there a way I can support you otherwise? Can I help direct you to resources? Can I help direct you to a different person? Maybe you can write out what you want or put it in a voice note and send it to me and I can listen to it tomorrow morning when I've had some sleep or when I've had a meal or when I feel better. And those kinds of conversations for some reason aren't normalized in our culture because 
then it suddenly turns into, oh, that person doesn't care about me or they care about themselves more. Yeah, and it's not coming from a place of caring about yourself more. It's just I find that when I try and overextend myself, I, I never feel like I'm doing what I should be doing for my friend because I'm just not completely there. Like you're not emotionally there for the person in the way that you want to be or um, in the way that even like you should be just as an ally when you're offering your help. We can move on to the next question. If yes. That's all right with you. Okay. So one of my family members says racist things and no one in my family calls them out. I want to educate them without ruining the relationship. How can I do that? This question is one that I see and get asked so many times. And number one, that's worrying. But number two, I think it's a testament to how many people actually want to invest in having really good conversations with people they love, but they just don't know how. Mm-hmm. And for me, the first thing the first thing when it comes to all of this, and this is how you distinguish between malice and ignorance, because ignorance, you can there's an easy solution to ignorance, and that's knowledge. Um, malice, there's a longer way to deal with that. And so the first question you have to ask is, does this person in my life want to learn? Yeah, and... I feel like usually, so I have some, I don't want to say a lot, but I have some experience with this. And I feel like an open dialogue is always the way to go. And I also think that the way that you position how you're talking to the person is really important. So I think because we might have a lot of knowledge or a lot that we can say Um, and we have a lot of people that we're surrounded with that understand what we're saying. So like how we were just talking about compassion fatigue and we at first forgot to explain even what that was. Mm -hmm. And it's really easy to do that when you're talking to your family and then you just start kind of talking at them and they don't know what you're talking about. And why would they? Because they haven't studied the same things that you've studied. Mm -hmm. So I think making sure that you are finding your moments to explain things in a realistic way. So like, for example, I've used, we're watching the news and I might, you know, bring up something and explain it to them in like just a very, just a basic way. Like there's no reason that we have to be speaking to people in this, you know, academic form and using terms that are not common knowledge for people. Yeah. So like compassion fatigue, for example, is a really good example because we can explain it like, You know, you hear a lot of emotional things after hearing about them for a really long time. You develop this and these are the symptoms. And so you can talk about a lot of things. You can talk about anti-black racism that way. We've done that with, like, I've done that with my family is talk about it in a way that's not, um, that doesn't appear as condescending. That's actually very, I want to have a conversation about this rather than I want to talk at you and, you know, make you feel small because you don't know about this thing and I do. Mm -hmm. And so using accessible language is really, really important. And if someone's saying you can't plain language something, then they're not trying hard enough. You can plain language everything. You can use your own experiences to talk about it too. And I think it's important to keep in mind that people don't always have access to this learning. So we're living in the time of the internet. We're living in the time of grow like a great amount of social consciousness in terms of these things on the part of many and so we have the privilege to have access to this knowledge Mm -hmm. and we have to consider that as a privilege people before us did not have this kind of learning people after us will have learning a lot more and so it's important to understand that not everyone had these opportunities and so it's important to be able to 
I approach that in that kind of concept, uh, context. And while I do say that, I also want to say that you want to be clear about the implications of their words. So you're not excusing their racism or their prejudice or their discrimination. You are just being aware that they might not have known this information, but you are being clear about the fact that what you said hurts people. What you said has systemic implications in the world. What you said can be compounded by what all of these other people have said to create some really detrimental situations for a certain group. And so you want to be clear you're not you know, you're not um, excusing anything that they're saying. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, okay, next question. I'm having a hard time standing up for myself, even though I can stand up for others. How do I better practice self-allyship? I, I think I do this a lot. Hmm. I do this too sometimes. I think I'm getting better at it because what I'm doing is I'm asking myself why. Why do I care about others more than I care about myself? Um and that's a very deep and hard question and it requires a lot of unpacking, but it's one that's important to ask is why am I so quick and so ready to practice allyship for someone else, but that, but I reject something or deny something when it happens to me or I refuse to take the time to take care of myself. Mm -hmm. So that might be why you're doing it. And I think another, like one thing to think about is when you don't show allyship for yourself, So, and what we mean by showing allyship for yourself is, like, I have an example of, I was um, at my mom's work, this woman came outside, um, a white woman came outside, she was talking to my mom, and she was talking about her husband's job, and she made a comment about how her husband, um, his job was being taken over by Packies. Mm and I'm half Pakistani, and that I felt very uncomfortable, I felt a little bit unsafe, like, what other racist things is she going to say, and I didn't know what to do, and I just, I walked away, and obviously my mom knew I felt, she would have known I felt uncomfortable, but she did not know what to say afterwards, now when I think about it, I wish I had said, hey, you know what, that's not okay to say, that's actually very offensive, um, it's a very offensive term to use. You, sh- you shouldn't be using language like that with people. And I feel like when you don't practice allyship for yourself, people don't know to practice allyship for you. Mm-hmm. They don't know what you, that you're upset. They don't, they think that because you haven't reacted towards the situation that you're okay. You don't mind it. You're willing to just let it go. So I think in order for and this can be difficult because we we don't you shouldn't have to overextend yourself or emotionally exhaust yourself for people to be there for you but some it is a good practice to you know be there for yourself and other people will in turn know what you need mm-hmm. absolutely and speaking of what you need you have to also ask yourself what you need so you have to say do I need to be safe right now? Do I need more power control over this situation? Do I need to leave the situation? And this is where this was famous advice on fight, flight, and freeze come in, where I always say you have to understand your natural reflection. Uh, reflection? No. Reaction. Natural. <laughs> there you go. Every episode, I say one thing that's not the word I mean, and there's mine today. Mm-hmm. Um, so your fight, flight, freeze natural reflex that's the that word. is the word yeah reflex so in fight 
And Fight's not as aggressive, uh, Fight is sounding more aggressive than it actually is. Fight can sometimes just be standing up for yourself. Um, and you can say, hey, that's not okay. Or, hey, don't say that to me. So that's part of that speaking up. But a flight is saying, I'm not safe right now, I need to leave. So that could be leaving the room, that could be leaving the space, that could be leaving the virtual space, whatever that may be. And then freeze, which usually is the most dangerous one, but also the one that most people um, react to the most is the one where you just don't know what to say. So you just, you're either quiet or you just literally physically freeze. And it's important to know what your natural reflex is in that because it helps to practice. So if I'm in a situation where I don't know someone and I'm alone and they're saying something discriminatory towards me, my usual instinct has to be to flight because I'm not safe. As a young woman, especially when I was living in Ottawa alone, mm -hmm. there was no safe place for me in terms of those things. Even going home wasn't safe enough because there weren't people who were keeping me safe there. And so it was important for me to always have flight. However, if I'm in a situation where I have a loved one with me, if I have someone with more privilege than me, like when I'm with my partner, um, he's a white cis male, and so I get a lot of privilege when I'm with him, I can stand up for myself, and he can stand up for me too. And, and that way, fight is a really good reaction for me, because later I feel validated. I feel like, okay, I did something, I can move on from it. Because with flight, sometimes there's that regret. And then with freeze, I know sometimes that's going to happen, right? That's the reaction. I'm not always going to expect the level of racism or discrimination that I'm going to get always. And so when I'm freezing, I need to know how to take care of myself afterwards. Maybe I'm going to address the situation if I know the person. Um, maybe I'm going to find a way to just take a break and take care of myself, whatever that may be. It's important for me to know. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so our next question um, I know we've talked about this a lot, about how to practice allyship. That's all what Ally Squared does. But there was a question from a listener about what actions can be taken on a regular basis to practice allyship other than what everyone says on social media. And I think that's a really good question. And the first thing that I'm going to say is measure the impact of your spending. So not just your donations, not just the charity you give, but all of your spending. So people make budgets for themselves at the start of the year, at the start of the fiscal year. Whenever you make a budget, you can make a monthly budget too. Break down that budget. How much money did you spend on a non-local grocery store where you're supporting a big box chain? How much money did you give to bigger organizations who have more capacity and your donation's not going to make that much of an impact compared to a grassroots organization, right? That's a big question. How much are you engaging in consumerism beyond what you need, more towards what you want in an excessive way, an excessive way, um, that makes an impact on the environment, that makes an impact on people in countries around the world, that makes an impact on the local businesses who you could have supported instead. And so it's really, really important to make sure that you are measuring your money. And I don't mean that in like a very abstract way. Literally open up a spreadsheet and say, this much money caused harm, this much money caused good. Look at it and see if you're happy with that. If you're not happy with that, maybe you need to change a couple things. Mm -hmm. And I also think just looking at the people that you're surrounding yourself with. So are you comfortably living in an echo chamber? Um, if you are, how can you change that? How can you change the dialogue between the people that you are typically with on a daily basis? Um, that's another way to just on a daily basis practice allyship. 
Yeah. Like, yeah. You, you never want to be that one token friend who's who cares, or you don't want to be that one person who's complicit in all of the horrible things that are being said in your environment just because you're like, okay, that's my friend group. They're going to say discriminatory things as jokes, and that's okay. But in this other part of my life, I'm going to make sure that I um, show care and I show compassion because that's not how allyship works. So I think that's very important. Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay, next question. I'm scared of saying the wrong thing when advocating for a cause, so I don't say anything. Is this wrong? Mm. So I think... Yes, but I don't think there's anything wrong with saying that you are not the best person to be talking about this because you are not 100% informed. I really enjoy saying, I'm not the best person to tell you all this information. Why don't we learn together? Mm -hmm. Or I actually don't know. Let me look that up. Let's figure this out together. I think you have to be informed when you're confidently talking about something if someone's asking you a question you need to know what you're saying in order to you know make it seem like it's a fact yeah absolutely and I I see this so much I feel like our generation especially has this pressure to always know and always be perfect and always be on brand and there's humility in saying hey I'm I might not know hey I haven't learned this yet and there's and I'm going to sound so flowery right now, but there's such beauty in saying to someone, I want to learn this with you. Can we embark on like, can we pick a podcast and just learn together? Can we watch a show together, a documentary together? Can we do some research about this thing and you do some research about that thing and we'll figure it out together. And I feel like that would solidify so many of my friendships and saying, I'm okay admitting that I don't know everything about this. Let's figure it out together, and then maybe we can have a conversation about it, and that would be awesome. Mm-hmm. So flowery but true. Flowery but true. That's that's very me. Yeah, flowery but true. But true. <laughs> um, yeah, and so at the end of the day, just because you're not an expert on something doesn't mean that you can't at least share what you know with mm-hmm. the caveat that, you know, I might not know everything about this. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. We've heard a lot about hiring and paying BIPOC speakers and consultants, but our organization doesn't have a lot of money. How do I support BIPOC speakers given our budget constraints? Ooh, good question. And also one that I wrestle with my entire one year. Yeah, I was like your entire what? My entire (laughs) Ally Squid life. Um, Okay, so the first thing that I have learned from, and you know what, I'm going to practice what I preached in my last question, say I don't know the full answer to this. Mm -hmm. I might not be the most appropriate person to also answer this because I'm not black and indigenous. Yeah. Black or and or indigenous. And so that that's my caveat there. I do think that this is a question that I really want to do more research on and consult on. But from what I have had through my experience, it's really important to try. And so Ally Square doesn't have a lot of money. We don't claim to have a lot of money. We're a small grassroots youth volunteer organization. Um, side note to hit us up for donations, allysquare.ca slash donate. <laughs> Shameless plug. <laughs> um, but really, like, sometimes you can go to someone and say, hey, you know, I just need 30 minutes of your time. I can only offer $20 is that okay? Or can we make it so that maybe you're only coming on for 20 minutes or 10 minutes? Maybe 
we'll pre-record it and it'll, it'll fit in your schedule. Maybe we can just promote you if that's what you need. Maybe, you know, we can figure out a payment plan, like whatever that may be. It's important to try. And I'm also going to say it's not enough $20, but $20 is still more than minimum wage for 30 minutes. It so is. just take that in. I think when we say try, what we also mean is be honest. Mm-hmm. So just like be honest with your budget constraints, be have a very clear vision of what you actually are able to provide to them. And I think if it's not enough, you can have an open conversation. They can tell you it's not enough and okay, fine. We can once, maybe one day when we do have the ability, we can come back to this. Yeah. And I think we find we, we gravitate towards people who are also getting a lot of attention for good reasons mm. and they should be getting attention. But there's so many Black and Indigenous activists, educators, artists who aren't on that like national level yet. And maybe supporting them, maybe their fee is lower and supporting them will actually build their platform up to that level. And so sometimes we direct ourselves always to the biggest people who usually have bigger speaker fees or um basically any kind of fees when we can really work with people around us, our local businesses, our local artists, our local educators, our local activists who charge less fees and work with them. And, you know, those fees can increase as their work increases or as their needs increase or whatever that conversation might be, but make it a conversation, right? Mm -hmm. If you're just going to say, Hey, we can't do this, you know, we can't pay you at all, or we can only pay you this like yes or no, it's all on the table it's rude because then you're not valuing valuing that person, their expertise. Um, They're just trying to do a transaction. And what I have learned from this work is that it's not transactional that way. No, it's not at all. We appreciate, you know, the, the appreciation that you have for (laughs) each other. Right. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. The next question is how can I explain to my white friends that racist jokes aren't dark humor. Yeah. So I feel like, I feel like this is something that I grapple with a lot because it puts you, it makes you feel almost uncomfortable to tell people like, Hey, I don't think your joke is funny, but now I just do. I just tell people like, I don't laugh. And when you don't laugh, it typically is like you get a really bad reaction from the person, but and they'll be like, well, you didn't find my joke funny. And I'm like, well, no, I didn't. It's not, I, I actually didn't find it funny. I think what you said was racist or it was offensive. Um, and maybe like, you know, think about that joke that you're making. But no, that's not something that I'm going to laugh about. And it doesn't have to be like, you don't have to be rude. You don't have to fight with the person. Because I think that's the most intimidating part of this is feeling like you're gearing up for someone mm-hmm. to attack you for what you're saying and it doesn't have to be like an argument it can just be an open conversation about I'm I'm not going to laugh at the at those jokes that you're making because I just don't find them funny Mm -hmm. and I think even if they don't say anything in the moment it does kind of put the thought in the back of their minds like okay well why didn't they find this funny how can I do better I don't want to upset my friend I don't want to hurt people's feelings because I think I think sometimes these jokes are not made with malicious intent and you might know that because they're your friends. It's just like things that we have made socially acceptable as 
as a whole. We've mm-hmm. made these jokes socially acceptable because we never say anything mm-hmm. to stop them. Yeah, absolutely. What you said was 100, I 100% agree with you. Not laughing is one of the most powerful things you can do. And I learned that firsthand when I had a boss that would regularly make jokes against my age, against my gender, against my the color of my skin, against so many things, mm-hmm. trying to laugh with me. And I just decided, okay, I'm just not going to laugh. And so I used to just sit there and stare at them. And like, at first I was like, oh my God, I'm totally going to get fired. But then, yeah. you know what? And yeah, it didn't always turn out well. A week later, they had me in their office being like, oh, like, I think there's something wrong with your mental health because you're not (laughs) laughing at my jokes. And that was a whole other conversation. But the power I had in not laughing at their jokes and the way that after that conversation, they stopped making those jokes and they were so careful about what they said around me, protected my safety so much in the months to come because I was like, oh, wait, as an intern at that time, who essentially was made to feel like I had no power. This was such a powerful thing to do because this person who thought because of their age, their gender, and their race, they had all the power in the world. Mm -hmm. In meetings with me, did not have all the power in the world. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I think you can take back your own power by something as simple as not laughing. Mm -hmm. It's it's magical. Sometimes the simplest solutions are the ones that work. It is a magical feeling sometimes. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay, so our last question from what I'm seeing here, and it is, how do I respond to someone? How do I respond to being called a snowflake? I haven't heard that one in a while. I haven't heard snowflake in a, in, yeah, for, I think since like 90s sitcoms. No, I think I heard it a couple years ago. I don't think really? it's been that long. I haven't heard I haven't heard Snowflake. Okay, so let's understand either way. Um what does Snowflake mean? Uh that you're really sensitive, that you're fragile, that it's tend they tend to use it for leftist folks or progressive folks who care. Oh, like no well, like when you're wearing a mask. They say yes. that you're a, okay, I have heard it recently. <laughs> a sheep, a snowflake, it's all the yes. same thing. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay, so I I think it's the same thing as the question before. Like, okay, like I'm not going to laugh, and at this, I'm just like, okay, fine. Like, I, interesting word. Yeah, I feel like when people say stuff like that, it just you know, are they? You know what type of person? You know what they I are. would genuinely say if someone said that to me. What would you say? That's a you problem. <laughs> yeah, you would. That's actually. that's what I would say. I would say that's on you. If you feel like that about me, I'm I'm not sorry, actually. If you feel like that about me, that's on you. That's you taking ownership of the way that you see people who care. I really would encourage you to revisit how you see people caring and how you think of your own apathy because your apathy doesn't make you cool. And I would just walk away and I was I would hope that I'm wearing heels that day because I would want <laughs> I would want to feel so it would strong feel good when you're when you're wearing heels saying something like that. I think what you said though about I'm not sorry is really important because you shouldn't be sorry for the choices that you've made to be an ally, to better yourself, to practice allyship for yourself. Like for me wearing a mask is I mean, I it's well, your safety and safety health. and health. And if you have an issue with how I have chosen to, you know, 
depict that, present that, show my solidarity, practice safety, then that's not my problem. I'm not causing you any harm. I don't think that, I think not apologizing for your choices and your actions is really important. Yeah. And there's something so amazing. I I was saying this to Nas yesterday, our social media coordinator, that one thing that I admire most in this world is brown and black women who are beautifully unapologetic for how awesome they are. Yeah. And you know what? A big part of that is also trying to be that. Mm -hmm. Is being a brown woman who's like, I am totally never going to apologize for who I am when it's for the good of my community. Now, that's not to say that you shouldn't apologize if you make a mistake. Apologize when you make a mistake. Yeah. But... Be in tr- be strong in who you are. Be sure in who you are. And we were talking about that in the context of one of our favorite people in this world, um, Selena Cesar Chavez, and how she is that, um, that in a in the best way possible. And we yeah. always look up to her and think, okay, that's a person who is so unapologetic about how awesome and who how awesome they are and how good they are to their communities and how great they are to brown and black women yeah and that's who you want to be right so when you know what you're doing is right if you're wearing a mask you know what you're doing is good for everyone then be apologetic about it and say that's on you you know if you feel that way that's on you and maybe you need to figure that out Mm -hmm. absolutely and I think as women as well we are taught that if we kind of go outside the norm and we make too much of a fuss or we are kind of like what I'm looking for a word and I can't think of it. But if we, if we make too much of something and we're too loud about something or we care too, or too passionate about something Mm -hmm. and we're affecting people with that, that we need to apologize for that. And I feel like that's ingrained in young girls, especially from our generation and before that we should apologize for being too out there, too loud, too proud. And I think we need to change that. Oh yeah, and and especially women of color. Oh yeah. yeah, and and I think that's it's it's what we need to do. I think there's so much strength in that. And again, bringing it back to full circle, allyship is such an important part of doing that. Is saying, hey, you know, I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna say this, and I need your support, especially in ones that are planned. So like, let's say you're in a meeting with a boss who's really being discriminatory or believes in something that's against community values, against the values of um, BIPOC folks, for example, you want to be the person who says, you know, I'm going to say this, I'm going to stand up for myself. I'm going to stand up for my community. I'm going to stand up for other women. I need you to support me. Mm-hmm. And that can be such a clear thing that you say. And that's, that's where you ca- call for your allies. Right. And it's important to make sure that you're doing that. I think that's all of our questions. That's all. That's all our questions. Good job, Yasmin. Thanks. I was so nervous. It went really well. well. (laughs) You did perfectly, and I appreciate you so much for doing this with me. So for everyone who isn't watching us on Instagram and is hearing this in a few weeks, um, follow us at Ally2Squared or visit us at www.allysquared.ca slash donate if you want to donate. Um, (laughs) Our episodes occur bi-weekly on Sunday, so make sure to tune in. And as always, thank you so much for listening. 